July 1936, the Perche Comet streaks across the sky. We're about to ring the bell and start this sweaty cavalcade of boxing. Adam the Power Bower has returned to the ring in order to defend the honor of his lovely lady, Twin Peaks, from the ludicrously livid Daniel Williams. Look onwards, these two dimwits of the ring go toe to toe. You can be sure anything can happen in this slugging match, and does. Daniel is dynamite in any ring, look at him go. How could this be your favorite joke? It's all over the place. For every entertaining scene, there are about a million more that are slow, irritating, and intentionally misleading. Admit it, Adam, you only like this show because it's weird and trendy. Don't get too cocky, Daniel. What Adam lacks in speed, intelligence, size, good looks, and boxing acumen, he makes up for in an indomitable spirit. I've heard it all before. Your constant negativity blinds you to the complex, rewarding, and mysterious world of Twin Peaks. If you don't like it, you're just not open to the experience. Take this. These two can sure take a punch, and how? Complaint Department, your source for all the Twin Peaks ire you could possibly handle. I am your host, Daniel Williams. And I am your co-host, Adam Bauer, eternal in my love for Twin Peaks. Yeah, you know, with this episode especially, I'm starting to question your sanity, sir. Yeah, I thought so. And it's funny because season two was kind of you slowly losing your mind just because of all these insane plot lines. And now it's me slowly losing my mind as you scream at me and tell me my tastes are terrible. But you know what? I don't care. That's fine. That's fine. You know what? We're all allowed to like what we like. Yeah. Part of the show is yucking on your yum, but sometimes it does make me feel bad. (laughs) So, you know, but I'm not going to stop. That's what all of our (laughs) listeners tune in for. Yeah. They want to hear the angry guy complain about the show that they love. (laughs) Isn't that what everyone (laughs) is looking for? So, hey, we're back again. We are looking at season three, episode six, known as part six. Of course, written by Frost and Lynch, directed by Lynch. The original air date, June 11th, 2017. You know, as we get closer and closer to the end of Twin Peaks, I am looking forward to being able to watch and listen to other people's analysis so that I can shout at my TV and be like, you're all wrong. (laughs) You're all stupid. (laughs) Well, you know, this episode seems fairly uneventful. And it is. It's kind of boring. But I think there are a number of intriguing developments and callbacks that make the episode worth it. And I also think it was a very much a um, pacing decision, probably one not many mainstream audiences would agree with. But if you look at episode one through five, there was just so much shit going on and I feel like this episode is letting things simmer kind of letting things settle but there are a few key plot points that don't get moved along and new ones get introduced so it is it's almost like you're getting buried under layer after layer of characters and plot it's really hard to keep track of the series unless you're taking notes like you are as you watch it this episode jumps around a lot but nothing seemingly of significance happens yeah i stand by at more developments than big plot movement but why don't we roam into this episode yeah let's just wander on into lucky seven insurance where 
I feel like we could just stand stupid next to yeah. Dougie Cooper. We and... pick right back up from the <laughs> yeah. last episode. If you recall, the last episode ended with the credits rolling yeah. on him hanging outside. He's still there. Yeah. A police officer walks up who is the first person in the series to ask the right questions like, are you on any drugs or medication? Where do you live? What are you doing? <laughs> Don't touch my badge. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice that Dougie Coop was trying to hide his hand? Yeah. I... As I say over and over with the show, <laughs> I never know if there's a significance tied to something happening on the screen. I don't help that. I certainly make it worse. <laughs> it's like an anxiety issue that I'm giving you. Like, oh, is, is that important, Dan? You better yeah. pay attention. You are destroying my reality. <laughs> so that scene kind of ends. Yeah, he, All of these scenes just kind of end. Yeah, he's got his case files. He tells the police officer that his home is on Lancelot Court, Red yeah. Door, and we jump there. I can't help but wonder if Dougie was a person of color. If they would have just fucking thrown him in jail. Like, don't touch my badge. You're in jail now. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't know where he lives. Like, oh, they, he has a vague kind of description of his house. They'd be like, yeah. no, you're you're just a crazy person. We're just going to toss you in the slammer. Well, thankfully not. This police officer was a person of color as well. He That's looked and He treated Dougie with respect. Yeah. Like we all hope everyone does in the world, but they don't. But Oh, God. Let's not go there. Yeah, the world is a rotten place sometimes, but it's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So again, here we see this officer is the first person to show real legitimate concern about the mental well-being of Cooper Dougie. He mentions to Janie that he was just standing there. You know, he's is this man okay? And, and she just makes a fucking joke of it, like, ah, you know, Dougie, he's he's just a brain dead moron all the time. <laughs> I can't remember her exact words. But I think that she secretly hates her husband. Is my point. He's you know? a gambling absent cheating son of a bitch yeah i mean there's probably a lot of animosity there but right. still like she doesn't seem like a bad person any normal person even if it was your worst enemy if you thought they were in mortal danger you'd probably do something to help them you'd think that's why i'm saying that she is just hoping that he just wanders <laughs> off into the desert and doesn't never come comes back, back. Yeah, yeah she should have just let those loan sharks have him <laughs> right all right so okay. let's she makes a sandwich she makes him a sandwich and they're kind of hanging out there for a moment it's a very chill contemplative yeah. episode and they're janie is munching on her sandwich and Coop just crushed his because we know how he feels about food. Dude, and mean, he starts, yeah, he starts picking at his chips. She notices the case files, but she's more focused on Cooper going upstairs to say goodnight to Sonny Jim. Yeah. So he goes upstairs and we have a wanders, you know, around. wanders around and eventually finds his way to Sonny Jim's room. This fucking name, by the way, Sonny Jim. Sonny oh, Jim what? Jones. He's reading a Hardy Boys book. Yeah. He asks if he can keep his light on. There's some clapper bass shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, I thought about that. When was the last time they made a clapper? Maybe they still make them. I'm going to go on Amazon after this and order some. <laughs> I'm going to hide them around the house. Just like just start applauding yeah. randomly. Just fuck with your roommates. <laughs> and then Janie E. shouts for Cooper Dougie. Because he's in the doghouse, boy. Oh, yeah. She opened up the she, manila folder. And yeah. It, was, uh, it wasn't case files. It was from the individuals that Dougie owes money to. Yeah. There's some compromising photos showing Dougie Dougie, not Cooper Dougie, yeah. palling around with Jade. Did you notice when she held up the photograph and showed it to Dougie Coop? On the back, it said, you're late, but it was Y-O-U-R. <laughs> they didn't use God. the contraction. <laughs> I mean, that seems right. Yeah, so that I thought that was a little chuckle, like Easter egg chuckle. That shows the you the, the level that we're working <laughs> yeah, with here. Yeah, these dudes are not associated with Mr. C, in case you were wondering. Right. <laughs> I don't think he'd work with them. So, Naomi Watts, that's this actress, right? Yeah, yeah. She is a good actor, but this scene is not showcasing her talent. It's a very larger-than-life character, you know, yeah. I, so she plays it big, 
and Twin Peaks has always been very theatrical, you know, even back in the 90s. So this, I think that was the choice for the performance, like a big, larger than life kind of stage play almost. Yeah, feel. she's playing it from the stage. And who knows? He could be sitting there shouting in the mic with her, play in the back of the room. <laughs> she's like, okay. you're in the doghouse now, mister. mister. And, you know, Cooper Dougie is not very responsive. He said things like Jade gives two rides and he's just... <laughs> I has bet a, she did. Yeah. Give, gives a big grin because he recognizes this person and he recognizes so little these days. Yeah. He's like, oh, it's Jade. We had a, we had a great time. She dropped me off at the casino. Gave me five bucks. <laughs> I won $420,000 with that five bucks. So, you know, did okay. She lays into right. him. Like, basically, like, you're in the doghouse. We can't have you losing your job. Get on these case files, you know, and she storms off. No, she doesn't. She gets a call from whomever is blackmailing them, the geniuses that we yeah. spoke of briefly. And she was going to take... Cooper Dougie to the brain doctor Which she should have done yesterday. Yeah, no kidding. And instead, she's got to go meet with these clowns because Cooper Dougie can't go. He's got to go to work to keep his job to pay the bills, even though they just got a huge payday. And it seems like maybe he should just go back to the casino for, you know, (laughs) being honest or a different one. Yeah. And the gentleman on the other side of the phone suggests maybe going to his work to get the money. And that, yeah, so that would be bad. So she decides to play interference. I'll meet you at the park. Well, and I don't know if you'd noticed the address, but it was once again another reference to Glastonbury Grove and oh, King no, Arthur I, I and all that stuff. I didn't catch it. I knew it was a park. And this is when she storms off pissed and he gets to work on his case files. Yeah. And, uh, so we cut away to the famous streetlight. We get know. some crackle of electricity so we can kind of anticipate where we're going. And sure enough, we're back in the lodge with Mikey. He's searching for that connection. Yeah. He's reaching up and it's over by the fireplace, Dougie. Come on, it's yeah, right there. Right there. And he Firewalk your ass over to the <laughs> fireplace, pal. So Dougie looks over to the fireplace and then the communication line is open and Mike can't keep it open for yeah. that long because he's basically just saying, hey, you need to wake up. We're in trouble here. Don't die. Wake up, don't die. <laughs> Solid advice. Yeah. That's good. Dougie's like, okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. Um, I got to get to work on my files. Yeah. And he does. He opens up the files and almost immediately we see the strange shimmer of white light. So he's drawn immediately to the case files. And pretty quickly we're figuring out that what looks to be scribbles as he's following these lights around the case files is actually highlighting very crucial information within the case files I don't know, related man. to Anthony Sinclair's lying that he mentioned in the previous episode, the false arson claims. I think that the ghost lights are just fucking with him. Like, what do they know about insurance claims? Yeah, they're from another dimension. They don't even have insurance in that dimension. No, what do you need insurance in another dimension for? Everything's fine. They can see and manipulate and read our world in ways that, you know, they may not know what insurance is, but they have a plan and they can know how to accomplish their goals. I don't understand Mike's connection here. Like, the Red Room, is it also connected to the White Lodge? Like, is he... A force for good? What? Yeah, well, remember, in the original series, he wanted to stop Bob. Right. And then in the prequel, we found out that while he wanted to stop Bob, he was still demanding Garmambozia. You know, he was, he was, yeah, they were still eating. So my proposal is that the balance is tipping, that the Black Lodge is kind of winning out, and people like Mike and people that kind of exist in the waiting room or the lodge or wherever that in between places, they kind of recognize that the forces of pure evil are moving and they don't, you know, they don't want the crop. To spoil, you know what I mean? <laughs> so Mike's like, okay, I may, you know, sustain myself on human pain and suffering, but I don't want an apocalyptic event, you know, yeah. here. Like, it's a more of a symbiotic relationship. Adam, this this episode is just... It's a... It's, it's a... <laughs> 
it's a thing. It's a yeah. So I'd like to take you to what I'm assuming we're back in Philadelphia, where Al Gore Roserschlump is on assignment. He is heading to what it turns out to be a bar, and he's got the best line in all of <laughs> Twin Peaks right here. He gets out of his car and it's pouring down Windy rain. Windy too. And he says, "Fuck Gene Kelly, you motherfucker." <laughs> He's so bitter. Awesome. Yeah. I like the idea that Albert kind of had an awakening in the 90s and then maybe life just happened. And he's <laughs> like, you know, I'm just kind of an asshole. That's my that's my good spot. He, or maybe he just was cool with Truman, you know, or Harry. He's an agent know. of peace, but he can be a curmudgeonly agent for peace. Yeah. You know? you can, can I'm sure angry. you can relate to that. I can. So the name of the bar was Max Fon's Bar, and yeah. the neon sign was very, very similar to the, to uh, the bang, bang, bang Bang. Yeah, he walks in and he meets up with Vice Admiral Holdo. He does. Well, that's actually Diane. Damn. I don't believe it. Yeah, no, you didn't hear him say he didn't really get it out because he's you know struggling with throat cancer at the time. But he said Diane, mm. and then she turns. No, no, because Diane is a handheld tape recorder. <laughs> she Adam. doesn't exist. Yeah, this woman might also be named Diane, but. The Diane that I know, the Diane in my heart, is a handheld recorder. Well, new Diane kind of has a bob haircut, and it's white hair, and she looks like a jazz singer from the 30s. Yeah. Smoking a cigarette at the bar. I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm disappointed, and uh, this disappointment is What a gonna, surprise. It's going to lead me into a break. We're going to take okay. a quick break. I'm going to deal with my disappointment and come back to, oh no, Dick Horn. <laughs> In the year 2100, the Earth's cybernetically enhanced population threatened to tear down everything America held dear. Free speech, drive through liquor stores, and guns. So many guns. After much deliberation, it was decided that, if America and its superior values were to survive the coming robocalypse, there was only one option. Get the fuck out. The next hundred years saw the construction of Space America, the galaxy's newest and brightest star. If you value adventure, good times, and cyborg fistfights, find your place in Space America. Space America. No cyborgs need apply. Subscribe to Space America on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or check out CalamityCast.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome. That's too much. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Welcome back to part six of season three and the Black Lodge Complaint Department. We're heading to the show's namesake, someplace in Twin Peaks, I think, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Old tricky Dick Horn is buying drugs. Yeah, he has a little a meetup yeah. with some uh, unsavory types. Drug guys. Yeah, drug guys. And the camera pans across some of these dudes. <laughs> and We're all the background actor yeah. in this episode. He... Is holding a big old gun and he's wearing a big old grin. Yeah, the guy you're talking about is, oh, I'm, I'm, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Emi Etuk. He was a second assistant director on the series. Oh, yeah. For the first time we meet Red, we saw him, I believe, in episode one when we got to the roadhouse and Shelly was hanging out at the booth with her friends. I, he okay. sits down and kind of finger gun, you know, yeah, and I winks at that. her. So, well, the way this guy's acting, like, I know why that background actor is smiling so big. He's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Is this fucking guy talking about? So yeah, Richard Horn takes some sparkle and Red starts posturing. Like, you know, this is the first time they've worked together and he's really worried about bringing in this sparkle from up north and he wants to make sure Horn isn't going to make trouble for him. So they have a little bit of a conversation here. I thought we might listen to it. Okay. You, uh, 
You got this under control? Yeah. You better have. There's... There's one problem. I don't know you yet. Be watching you, kid. Watch. Got that? Yeah. I got it. Don't call me kid. <laughs> just, just remember this. saw your head open and eat your brains if you fuck me over. He ends it with a magic trick with a dime that he throws up in the air and it just kind of hangs there yeah. and then all of a sudden it's in Horn's mouth and he pulls it out and then it's not in his hand anymore and Red has it. And when this happened, a lot of people thought that this was Pierre, Mrs. Tremont's grandson because he oh. wanted to be a musician. I don't think that's the case. No, I think that Richard theories. is just so fucking high yes. that he doesn't realize that nothing is actually happening. Yep, I think you you just hit the, yeah, you <laughs> hit the nail on the head. Okay, so these are characters I should... Try and lock into my my brain box. No, you okay. gotta let him go. Which, oh yeah, sure. Red, just know that Red is the one moving Sparkle into Twin Peaks. So he's just a piece of the bigger whole of what's happening right now. But he's not a very important cog. So from there we move to Small Dick Horn just angrily weeping in his truck as he drives away. It's a pretty big opportunity for Dick Horn if he really wants to be a big criminal mastermind. If he wants to be the new Leo, play it cool, Dick. Yeah, chill out. Let him throw his dick around and make him feel good and then, you know, get to work. But no, he's livid and he's high and he's angry and he's just speeding down the road. Yeah. And we cut to Fat Trout Trailer Park. Ah, ah. If you notice, the sign said the new Fat Trout (laughs) Trailer Park. He moved it. Oh, really? Yeah, he moved it to be closer to Twin Peaks. Okay. So it's not not the same. Yeah, it's not the same trailer park. He closed that down. But we are still with Harry Dean Stanton. He is still going, folks. He is a. You know what this guy's thing is? Is that he became a Highlander, but he was already like 85 years old when he chopped some motherfucker's head off and became a Highlander. So he is just forever old. Yeah, he passed away last year, the year before. So no, I mean, oh, he's, he's in hiding. Yeah, he's just waiting. He's like, no, at this point, it would be too odd for them to see me alive. <laughs> they know something was up. Right. But yeah, we get, we, uh, Carl's back. We last saw Carl when we were with Desmond yeah. in uh, Firewalk with me. And he and who I'm calling bad facial hair Bill take a trip into town. Yeah, I don't he, know who this guy is. but Yeah, Carl's heading into town and this gentleman needs to hitch a ride so he can hit the post office. And Carl is super nice. So he's yeah. like, yeah, get in here. Let's go. And they just chat about shit. Yeah, just shooting the shit. Very yeah. relaxed kind of slice of life episode, I like I mean, to think. if I... The thing about this, Adam, is if I wanted to watch the mundanity of life, I would stare in a fucking mirror all day. <laughs> like, but oh, I, I want a little bit of fun in my fiction, you know? And the fun that we're going to hit here pretty soon, not fun. Terrifying and awful. <laughs> but in the meantime. So, yeah, we cut to the double R and Heidi is uh, Heidi. giggling. She's got the giggle up to 10. I'm this. I'm <laughs> I am further convinced that whoever is playing Heidi is directly related to David Lynch because 
There's no reason for this actress to be in this show. There was never any reason for this actress to be in this show. She's a charming waitress at the double R. Ridiculous. I didn't think she was ever going to get lines. But in this episode, she she got things. It took 25 years for this woman to get lines in this show. She's serving a nice young woman by the name of Miriam, who is a local school teacher. Yep. And she just crushed two slices of pie. And she's like, I love it. It's so good. And they're just having, they're just friends having fun, having a chat. And yep. she's getting ready to head out and she wants some coffee to go. And she leaves him a fat tip. And she like, orders this coffee to go in the most ridiculous way possible. I want a coffee and a decaf coffee. Coffee for this person, blah, blah, blah. And a decaf coffee for me. I'm like, shut the fuck up. No one cares why you're ordering this. But just- that, that is the point. She's just one of those people that overshares, but just because she's a kind, sharing soul. You know what? That's how I feel about those people in real life. Shut the <laughs> fuck up and get on with you're your You're like day. Randall from Clerks. You're just that guy that tries to talk to you. Just spit water in his face. Like, get out of here. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, so you were saying something about a very large tip. Yeah, uh, Miriam leaves them like a $20 tip. And Shelly comments that she doesn't make enough money to really be... Leaving a tip like that just goes to show you what a pure-hearted person she is. I just assumed that she was selling drugs on the side. Leave town, Miriam. Leave town! Yeah. <laughs> How did you even end up in Twin Peaks? <laughs> oh, God. Okay. We quickly cut to Lil Dicky mumbling angrily in his truck. Yeah, he's just amping himself up at this oh, point. Oh, God. It is not. It's it not going not well, yeah. And then uh, we cut away to a park where Harry Dane Stanton is enjoying the park. Yeah, and this is another moment where it's just an elderly man sitting down and looking at the trees and just enjoying life. And here we are right there along with him and a mom and a son run past him. But they're playing this weird tag-like game that I've never seen anyone play, which is the child runs up and stops and turns around and looks at his mom and then she runs up. And touches him, and then he runs again and stops and look. Have you ever done that with your no, kid? No, no. Uh, some kids are just dumb, you know? Yeah, maybe he, for whatever reason, decided one day that he really liked that game. I gotta say, though, dude, as cute as this interaction is, we are halfway through the episode, and nothing of substance has occurred. No. It is painful. I'm hoping the next 30 minutes has plot. Well, we'll see, won't we? <laughs> I mean... When I was watching, I felt like if I had just stopped it and walked away and never come back to this episode, started the next episode, I would have missed nothing. You would have been like, "Where? when did Diane appear? Well, apparently she appeared <laughs> in the first 30 minutes. So, okay, so we cut back to Richard. Oh, boy. And we see an inter- oh, boy. A, a familiar intersection. Oh, boy, Adam. So this is the same intersection used in Firewalk with me whenever Leland and Laura had the run-in with uh, Philip yep. in the Winnebago. So the mother and son get to the crosswalk and Richard sees the line of cars and the stop sign and he's not having any of that because he's so livid and he's big man now. Toxic big boy. He is a toxic big boy and he's high as shit. Yeah. So he's just like, I got shit to prove. And he gets into the wrong lane and decides, I'm just going to speed right through the intersection Uh. past these assholes. And it's unfortunately right at the same time that the driver right next to the stop sign waves the mother and son on and continuing to play the silly game that we've never heard of before. The child runs into the middle of the crosswalk, stops and is run down violently by Richard. Brutally. Yeah. Just plowed instant, over. Yeah, not like, oh, I hope he's okay. Like, no, that instant death. Why? Oh, God. Okay. Why did that dude not look in his mirror before to check and make sure that it was okay? Why did the mother not hold that boy's hand when he was going into the street and they were doing the crosswalk? Why did the kids stop in the middle of the street? Like, if I was that mother, I'd be like, no, no, no keep going. What are you doing? Oh, Adam, this was so upsetting to me. Well, so upsetting. Yeah, the, once again, a, a evil character has wiped out innocence and pain and anguish is radiating from this spot. And Carl witnesses this. This, yeah. this old man on his way out in life 
sitting on a park bench enjoying a wonderful day witnesses a life being snuffed out that never even got a chance to live. I mean, obviously, that'd be a powerful moment for anybody, but especially Carl with his age and and everyone around the scene just kind of stops and just starts crying and grabbing and gobsmacked by what they just witnessed. Nobody goes to the mother and, and Carl notices this yellow aura come out of the child. It's his pee ghost. Yeah, yeah, urine ghost. And it floats up to the sky and just kind of disappears, and Carl is immediately taken aback. He doesn't know what he's witnessed, but he knows it's something big. And he sets out, and he goes straight to the mother, and he just grabs her shoulder and just looks at her like, I, yeah, I'll, I'll bear witness with you. Like, yeah. I'm here. Like, let's make a connection here. Like, there's nothing I could say, but I'm, I'm here with you. And Scary, powerful, weird moment, but it nestled in an episode with not a lot of things going on. So, you know, it, it is just, oh, I just watched a kid get run over. Yeah, that was the big moment of this episode. It was not great. Um, yeah, well, we also see a familiar poll as well with uh, a large six in the numbers, yeah. three, two, four, eight, one, zero. And that is the same telephone poll that Desmond saw at the Fat Trout trailer park when he was investigating Teresa. Oh. Are we in Deer Meadow or are we it's in Twin Peaks? Well, that's what I'm saying. I know. How? You and That's I a good discussed question. this. The map is messed up. Okay, let's move away from this fucking tragedy. We're going to go to Las Vegas where we get Bug Eye Guy. I can't remember this guy's Duncan name. Todd. Duncan Todd. Okay, and he... Nothing. He's, yeah, nothing. Mr. C's uh, pleb or his... Is he? He's really he's not related, but he's connected yeah, to he's Mr. Working. C. Yeah, Mr. C is his employer. He pulls an envelope out of a safe and... After a red box just appears on his uh, yeah a weird I yeah remember we talked that. about it mr c's thing is that he corrupts the technology within the world oh, kind of okay thing. so that was mr c saying hey my assassination attempts didn't work i want you to pull like defcon 5 okay so he's like oh, oh okay fuck so he pulls out an envelope and we know things are moving so yeah. we and they can't be good for cooper none of this feels like it's gonna end up meaning anything and i don't know Let's quickly move to another place that, <laughs> that we've been before. Nothing. We quickly cut to Ranchero Rosa. The police are removing Dougie's burnt up. Yeah, the car, car exploded last episode. And so they're kind of dealing with that. His license plate is up on a, a roof like yeah. that pizza in Breaking Bad. <laughs> and then we're going to move away because that's all that happened. Which, well, there is a quick shot to the drug addict mom. Yeah, sure. It's worth noting that she is basically, you know, 119, 119, and she has the exact same setup. It's almost like they're like in a closed time loop in there. Like, I don't I think that drug addict mom and that son, they could be spirits or really? you know, I think so. Like, you know, I don't know in what capacity, but there's something supernatural going on there. But it's super, it's not super important. So I don't I don't know if it's supernatural or if it's just a drug addict, like seems plausible for just a drug addict to just be stuck <laughs> in that kind of situation. Yeah, that's true. OK, so we're done with. Dougie's car, and we're going to move yeah. to a motel. I thought this was in Los Angeles because it just felt very L.A. I mean, it, it is. Did. It is. It felt film. very Mulholland Drive. I've been to Los Angeles, so it looked like it, but... Probably is, was. They probably shot it there. Right, maybe. yeah. So this is in Las Vegas. Yeah, we're we're in this kind of a seedy-looking hotel room, and there is a little person... Well, that's the no, thing, man. Is it seedy? Because he got room service. I know, right? From looking at that motel with the carpet and the sink in the background, no, there would be no room service there. Right. It'd be a bag of McDonald's. Yeah, I was I was like, no McDonald's. fucking way. But I'm sorry, you're saying he's, he's yeah, throwing the dice. He's got this creepy leather-bound notebook that yeah. he's writing shit in, and then under the door, the envelope that we saw Duncan yeah. Todd pull out of the safe earlier gets slid under it's the folder with a 
dot on it. Yeah. And Ike is his name. I, okay. Picks up the envelope and he pulls out two photographs. One right. is someone you probably didn't recognize right away, but we've seen her a few times. It's Lorraine. She was the brunette in the office building that seemed to be communicating with the assassins that were looking for Dougie when he came out of the love den originally. So she's the lady with the Blackberry. Yes. That, okay. So she it runs her own business. She manages contract killers. And Mr. C contracted her to take out Cooper when he okay. came out of the lodge, so he would be the only Cooper left on the Earth plane. Okay, okay. It didn't work. No. <laughs> and he realized it didn't work, and Mr. C is starting to panic, and that's when he sends the red box to Duncan Todd, who is almost immediately taken aback when he sees it because he realizes, oh, we're about to hire a sadistic serial killer to try and take out the woman yeah. that failed. Yeah, that's and not fair. He doesn't want any line that anyone can find to go back to the original Cooper, so kill Lorraine and then he provided Ike a picture of Dougie so he obviously he wants both of those gone and Ike kind of pulls out his name is Ike the Spike and he pulls out his ice pick and just kind of examines both of the photographs and stabs them violently and that's it. (laughs) Ike the Spike is how we're leading into our next ad break Adam. Yep. Ike the Spike. Mm -hmm. Twin Peaks man. (laughs) We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Lucky 7 Insurance. In Las Vegas, you're bound to run into a swindler in every industry, be it a casino, insurance, or peep show. But not Lucky 7. We're straight shooters, and we're here to keep your business covered and your assets safe. Whether you're a showgirl that needs extra coverage on various high-dollar headdresses, or you're a bad lounge magician that frequently needs dove replacements, Lucky 7 Insurance is here to provide the coverage you need and you deserve. Welcome back once again, everyone, to the Black Lodge Complaint Department. We are heading over to Lucky 7 Insurance. You know what I didn't notice until I was doing research on this episode? That the 7 in the Lucky 7 Insurance logo Uh is really part of the owl cave ring. It's the same shape. The 7 is the same shape as the owl cave symbol on it. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't. I don't think it's any any more important than that. No. So who dressed Cooper Dougie today? I know. He got his FBI suit dry cleaned. So he's dressed to the nines again. Well, and his tie is actually tied. His tie is tied. And he's got his own coffee. He didn't have to steal what's-his-name's coffee. And he gets to work. America's favorite humor. Elevator humor. Yeah, there's some elevator humor. Here's the thing that I noticed at this point in the show, and I don't understand, is... Cooper Dougie is not learning. He's like, still just kind of. He's as dumb now as he was like three days ago. Yeah, he when doesn't he first have, came his in. mind isn't there. He's just yeah. like a shell of who he should be because he's not full. He's scattered, you know, like. Well, and he doesn't have the capacity to pick up new things, really. He, he can mimic things and yeah. remember a few things that he has mimicked before. But right. you're right. He's basically just not quite there and he's not going to get better until he snaps out of it really so it's like all All or nothing nothing. yeah either he is trapped in no mind no memory or he's woke up and he is back to being you know cooper again okay all right and david lynch wants you to be patient with that you know i'm trying i'm trying (laughs) i'm a father so i can understand needing to be patient but he's testing me man okay Dougie Cooper gets called into Big Boss Man's office. Yeah, I Bushnell. know you told me his name. Bushnell. I'm just going to, I'm not going to commit to <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to. It took he... you long enough to remember Rosenstein. <laughs> Rosenfield. Yeah, Rosenfeld. See, quit fucking with me. Okay. <laughs> Big Boss Man, he seems to be just as pissed off with Cooper Dougie as. Yeah, he was sick of his shit yesterday. Yeah, and he takes a look at Cooper Doug's notes and he is understandably upset. Yeah. He's like, this just looks like a child scribbled on this. Yeah. What the hell? 
But then he looks a little closer. Yeah, and you're going to have to go into this for me because he becomes really He notices, happy. yeah, he well, not happy, well, but he notices something that is corroborating what Dougie said in the previous meeting, that yeah. Anthony Sinclair was lying. And if you notice on these forms, he was making strange symbols near Sinclair's name and dotting it up to people that were investigating these claims, basically tying the shit together for Bushnell to realize, oh, these claims are fraudulent. And they didn't make a big deal out of it, but one of the claims was for the Mitchum brothers. So things are starting to connect Dougie's world with the Mitchum brothers. So we'll see how that develops along the rest of the series. The funny thing about this scene is it's mostly a long scene of a man looking at paperwork. Yeah. And there was (laughs) another long scene of Dougie just looking at paperwork and making symbols. Yeah. I don't understand how Big Boss Man is able to connect Dougie's dots. We just know he figured something is up. Yeah. And that's good. He was like, whoa, you gave me a lot to think about here, Dougie. You know, you're a weird guy. Thanks. He's really appreciative. And Dougie's like, case files. (laughs) Agent. And I I, I think that's it for for this. And we get to inarguably the best scene of the episode. We move to... A different park. This time we're in Las Vegas and we're meeting the criminals that Dougie owed some gambling money to. We're meeting different goons. What are their names? It's Tommy and Jimmy. And one of them is Daniel Faraday from Lost, right? Yeah. I that guy, he plays a good skeevy looking dude. Yeah, he's got I love his voice. It's got a really good raspy inflection to it. It's great. She rolls up on him, like, tell me what happened here. Explain how this happened to me. Yeah. And basically they say he bet on a game. He lost. He doubled down. It didn't work out for him. He borrowed 20000 That was three weeks ago. Now it's up to fifty-two, and the meter's still running. I want my money. Yeah, and Janie E. is, like, is not having you. any of this shit. Yeah, so let's have a listen to Janie E. piecing things together and giving them her counteroffer. So let me get this straight. People were playing games. He made a bet where he lost $20,000, but you want him to pay you back $52,000. Very good. That's correct. Okay, so you get this straight. My husband has a job. He has a wife. He has a child. He does not make enough money to pay back $52,000 for anything. We are not wealthy people. We drive cheap, terrible cars. We are the 99 percenters, and we are shit on enough, and we are certainly not going to be shit on by the likes of you. Nevertheless, lady. So here's what we're going to do. Without my knowledge, my husband came to you for a loan of $20,000. You were nice enough to give it to him, but he should never have been gambling like that. I'm going to pay you back. Now, at my bank, where we make less than 1% interest on what little money we have, people will be turning cartwheels just to get 25% interest on any loan. And that is what I'm generously going to give to you right now. $25,000. That is my first, last, and What kind of world are we living in where people can behave like this? Treat other people this way without any compassion or feeling for their suffering? We are living in a dark, dark age, and you are part of the problem. Now, I suggest you take a good long look at yourselves because I never want to see either of you again. Tough dame. Tough dame, indeed. That was a good monologue, Yeah, that was cool. Like, as much as I was shit-talking her acting earlier, this totally makes up for it. This feels like something Frost wrote. I mean, there's no way to confirm. They just say they write the episodes. I mean, you just kind of have to be more familiar with their writing styles. Yeah. 
I, I liked it. I like this scene. This is a bright spot in this otherwise dull episode. And then it gets really dark again. Yeah, we go to a place. The office we've seen a few times. I would assume that this whole office building is not contract killers, but maybe she just rents an office space. <laughs> I like to think that the entire building is contract killers. Yeah. And she's got a very large staff. <laughs> well, we see Lorraine in her office. I mean, I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt, but just picture like a phone pool type room of contract killers. They're all just sitting in little cubicles waiting. Yeah. For, for, oh, I got one. Yeah. Uh, and That's they all funny. have different little ticks and, you right. know, got Ike the Spike. And, <laughs> but anyway, Ike the Spike does come, but not for a job interview. <laughs> She's, we see Lorraine. He bring his, his yeah. resume. He bring his resume. He brought his Spike. Oh, uh, shit. So, yeah, we see Lorraine in the office and then immediately hear a terrified scream yeah. and some violent thrusting. And then all of a sudden, Ike the Spike just runs around the corner covered in blood wielding his spike yeah. uh, and it's a really odd sequence because he just kind of runs into the room and she sees him but she's not immediately threatened by him because of his I would assume his size and she's like oh, okay so I'm just gonna dance around this desk and he just runs up on her and just immediately starts wailing on her and it is bloody gruesome. and gruesome yeah well yeah it's not only violent because he's stabbing her but about halfway through it he starts grinding the yeah. ice pick in her chest just liquefying her oh, inside it's pretty God, br- fucking stop. brutal oh. Unfortunately, there's another coworker that witnesses this who kind of like comes up like, oh, hey, I'm coming to check on you. Oh, God. Oh, geez. Oh, no. <laughs> she just immediately kind of should I should I run? I'm going to run. And then yeah. Ike just follows her outside and he murders her off screen. Ike is a man that enjoys his work. He did. He chewed through three people to kill the one person he yeah. needed to kill. But he fucked his spike up. He broke it. Oh, yeah. He's like, aw, that's what you get, you murdering bastard. It was it was too much. So we know that Cooper is in a lot of trouble. I think he'll be fine. Yeah, he doesn't have a spike anymore. Yeah. He's got the White Lodge on his side, he so does. he's probably going to be okay. So. It could be collateral damage, though. I would hate to see Janie or anybody else around them get hurt. Oh, Jesus. You know. Adam, are you foreshadowing? No, I'm not. Okay. We go back to Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah. Quickly, we get to see Dickless Horn pull over and clean off his fender. The child's blood. Yeah. There's some kid blood on there he uh, needed to get off. That shit will eat through the paint. Yeah. And that's that's it for that. Yeah. That's just some cruelty. Well, just to show that he just genuinely did not care. Yeah. It's all about himself. There's yeah. always a horn in Twin Peaks causing trouble. Yeah, man, you're right. Do we get to see Audrey at all? I can't remember mm-hmm. if you said so. Um, yeah, but not in relation to Richard. Like, they're very separate. Well, in the meantime, we're going to hop, skip, and jump over to the sheriff's department where Hawk is in the bathroom in the bathroom he's in the john washing his hands good by the way and he drops a coin his lucky coin is this the same bathroom that philip gerard got stoned in when he was high on the on the junk i think so i think so too i don't think he's the one who put the pages in there i don't think so well, Leland. Okay. well let's go pages yeah so he drops his coin and it leads him into one of the stalls and he picks it up and immediately notices the manufacturer for these stalls is nez perez which is the tribe of native americans that you know lewis and Clark got the rings from yeah. and all that shit. So he immediately perks up. He realizes this is it. I just figured it. Like I, all I needed to do was wait, and it what happened. A he, leap. He just needed to stay on the path. You know, he just he needed. Said, oh, you know what? Okay. And he examines the door more closely, and in the upper right hand corner, at some point, someone had peeled it back. Yeah. And he's like, okay, something's going on here. And he goes and he gets a crowbar. <laughs> not not a screwdriver or something like that. No. Like, he just, I got to rip this thing apart. <laughs> yeah, so he starts going to town on the door, yeah. and around the same time, uh, everyone's favorite deputy, Chad, Chad, rolls in with a book and a cup of coffee. Like, ew! Yeah, ew, Yeah, who by takes the way. a shit with coffee? I don't know. Oh, you drink it, and then you go take a shit. You don't bring your beverage into the bathroom, dude. 
Especially a communal bat, like a, it's not public, yeah. Chad, but. Chad's a dick though, so. Oh God. So he, yeah, he acts like a child and says he's going to tell on Hawk and Hawk's like, okay, cool, go do that. Now get out of, go use the ladies room, get out of here. Get the fuck out of here, you idiot. Yeah, so he eventually gets the door to a point where he can reach down and he finds some pieces of paper. Papers. Like, holy shit. So the theory is that when Leland was at the police department, maybe for the murder of yeah. Jean or anything else, that he panicked and put the missing pages from her diary in there. Which Listen, Adam, I don't want to be pedantic or anything, but he killed Jacques. Yeah, you're right. Oh, boy. Uh, Adam. So we, are you yeah, a fan yeah. or are you not? <laughs> so this is kind of a neat development because yeah. we could assume that these pages are the ones that contain Laura's message from Annie. Yeah. The good Dale is in the lodge and he can't leave. And of all the people to find those pieces of the diary, Hawk would know what that means. He is the one that needs to find this. So yeah. there's some cool things moving here. So that's kind of neat. And it makes sense, too, that Leland would have taken the pages that talked about the lodge because he wouldn't have wanted anyone to know about it. You know, in the meantime, new Truman's wife comes in elsewhere in the sheriff's department. Oh, yeah. She is very upset again. But I like the scene because we kind of figure out why she's so upset. Okay, Mrs. Truman storms in ranting and raving about the car that her father was trying to use. And Frank immediately knows like, hey, these people are trying to work here. He kind of whisks her away and they walk away. And Chad, of course, leans over and says, I wouldn't take that shit from her or anything. No, Chad, because you would never get close enough to a woman. Yeah. Shave your fucking beard, Chad. You don't deserve it. And the woman working the phone line said she wasn't always like that. Yeah. They had a son that committed suicide. Oh, So yeah. she's okay. struggling with mental health issues. And having gotten that information, you kind of think, wow, Frank's kind of a really nurturing dude. Like he understands what she's going through and he understands that she's just laying into him, but she's got to work through it and he's being supportive. So it kind of explains her excessive behavior and it further informs us about Frank that he really is a good soul. He's very quiet and stoic, yeah. but he's a good man. And Chad says more ignorance. Shit. Like, oh, I couldn't, he couldn't handle being a soldier. Like, holy shit, Chad. Yeah. Just please tell me, does Chad die a terrible death? <laughs> he gets his comeuppance, yeah. Okay, that's. I don't, and he doesn't die, though, I don't think. That's not good enough. I want his comeuppance to be a brutal, brutal <laughs> death. And that's it. So we yeah. just, yeah. And that's not how we finish off the episode. No. Because as usual, we move to the hottest spot in town, the roadhouse. Yeah, the bang, bang. No, it's the roadhouse. Oh, okay. Um, It's just so crazy that this is how the episode ends, and they don't tie in the roadhouse into the story. Sometimes they do. Some Most yeah. of the time they don't with the filler episodes, like the in-between stuff. You're right. It's really bizarre, and it's really strange that Twin Peaks is such a hot spot for like <laughs> up-and-coming touring bands. Like All of a sudden, Twin Peaks is just blowing up like did a college open up nearby some crazy some crazy shit goes on at the roadhouse with audrey that kind of like brings a lot of things into question we're like what is happened there are a few other things that happen again so i think the roadhouse is i don't know it's kind of on its own path and it's kind of maybe more reflective of what is happening in the world than being a real world thing but you're right it is out there and weird that all these hot bands are playing but (laughs) sometimes you find somebody you never knew you liked and Sometimes it can add some emotional resonance to the episode. I do. I like it. I like that that kind of idea. I just wish that when we went there, there was a reason to on. be there. Yeah, it's not always executed yeah. totally well. Like everything in the series is not perfect, but there's a lot of intention behind it. And that's why I like it so much. What, so who is this band? Oh, this is uh, Sharon Von Eaton, and she's playing Tarifa. Huh. That is all right. It's okay. Yeah, it's cool. Not my favorite one uh, in the series so far, but, but well. Yeah. We mentioned the band, so that means it's the end of the the episode. episode. Yeah, Yeah. it's a good way to find it. We'll be right back after a short break. Yep. 
listeners, are you into alpha males, badass leading ladies, and happily ever afters? Then check out another great Calamity Cast podcast, Dick of the Week, where I chat with my other two co-hosts about everything we love and sometimes hate about both writing and reading romance novels. So grab a glass of wine, get comfortable, and let's get down and dirty about romance. Find it on CalamityCast.com or wherever you find your podcast. Welcome back. We just finished talking about part six of season three. Dan, I know you've told me several times now that you thought this episode was boring. It was boring, Adam. If you go through my notes and all of the different scene headers that I have, there's maybe one or two sentences for a lot of them because nothing happens for the most part. There's a murder. I'm sorry, there are two murders. And Three at the office building and then the kid getting run over by yeah, Richard. Yeah, I was counting the office building as one. But yeah, there are two murder scenes and the meeting with the the goons. And that's kind of That's kind of it. You're that's right. That's kind of it. You know, and I mentioned it at the beginning of the episode. I think it, it's very much an intentional pacing thing that there was a lot happening in episode one through five. And even though there are some there are some intense scenes in this episode that for the most part it's a very subdued episode. And oh, maybe, this episode's on Quaaludes, too. It is, yeah. <laughs> I, I think there are going to be a few more episodes like this. I think they're nestled like 13, 12, 14, you know, somewhere in the early teens. I know, and that's the thing that kills me. You know, you mentioned to me that David Lynch insisted on adding episodes to the series, and it's like, why? He wanted it to be long. I mean, if you pay attention, he's reversing. Listen, sh- sometimes we just have to deal with the length God gave us, okay? Sure. To even put this into perspective even more for you, that he is reversing shots just to have another cutaway. But I I like his commitment to his vision, you know? How do you think Frost reacts to things like this? Or is he just like, listen, I write it, he directs it, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I know that Frost stopped by like a set a few times when they were filming stuff. I know he's not there all the time, obviously. He's not directing episodes with it. And I think Mark Frost understands that Lynch is just kind of do his thing and he's there to help write it and guide it and Lynch just runs with it sometimes. Well, that's cool. I think we're going to finish it up, Adam. Yep. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Black Lodge Complaint Department. A big thanks go out to Retro Promenade for providing our theme music and interstitial music. And they deserve much praise, so be sure to check out retropromenade.bandcamp.com and download some of their tunes. Ian McGowan made the jazz music you hear on the show and he deserves a big thanks too. Check out his band at gooddeedsmusic.bandcamp.com. If you want to talk Twin Peaks or shit talk the Chads you know, use the hashtag BLCD on Twitter, where we're at CalamityCast. My pal Adam is at Sour underscore Bauer, and I am at underscore DS Williams. Find us on Facebook at CalamityCast. Email us at calamitycastnetwork at gmail.com and check out calamitycast.com for more of our shows. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Or just follow us if you're listening on Spotify. Hell yeah. We have a Patreon for those of you that would like to support all of our CalamityCast shows. Head on over to patreon.com slash calamitycast and sign up. For one-time donations, you can always use paypal.me slash calamitycast. We also have merch available at tpublic.com. Just search Calamity Cast Network, all one word, and buy a shirt or something else. We'll return next week with Season 3, Episode 7 of Twin Peaks, and an episode of the Black Lodge Complaint Department that has never been more bored in its life. You know, Dan, only boring people get bored. Wow, Adam. Ruth Burke. This 
This has been a Calamity Cast production. For more content, visit calamitycast.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.